On today's episode, are you looking forward to watching Jason Statham kick sharks in the face? Good news, the Meg 2 trailer <laughs> has arrived. The Mario Brothers movie has now become the number five all-time animated film. How high can it go when films still have to pass? Jonathan Majors has made his first court appearance today with the DA updating the charges a little bit. We'll discuss that in a little bit more. The Flash movie is coming out. Which movies do you need to see in order to watch and understand it? And which movies do you not? Also, Nicolas Cage and Bill Skarsgård are starring in a Lord of War sequel? I like that movie, but that's weird that they're doing that. The production on Daredevil, despite the fact that all the scripts are done, Production on Daredevil has been halted. We'll talk about why. Ryan Reynolds, who is infamous for a lot of improvisation with his lines in movies, he's not going to be able to do that with Deadpool 3. We'll talk about that why. And also the first reactions for the brand new Little Mermaid come out. That and a whole bunch more. The John Campion Show starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show on the internet. Coming to you from right here on my YouTube channel. Brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campy, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, all sorts of good stuff. Not just giving you our opinions on things, but giving you context and information so you can form your own well-informed opinions, whether the exact same or completely opposite of ours. Joining me in the studio today, we got Ray back there, as attentive as always. Sitting back there, we got Jen. Jonathan's running the show today. Chris Carr is here. And most importantly, you guys are here. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. And here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to break the show down into two parts. In the first part of the show, we're going to talk about those predetermined topics. Then in the second part of the show, we're going to take your questions that you guys have sent in using our tip link that you can send in anytime 24-7 at streamelements.com slash johncampia slash tip. And we'll get to those just a little bit later. Also, want to remind you guys that we have a podcast version of this show. So if you just want to sit back and listen to The John Campia Show, go and find The John Campia Show podcast on your favorite podcasting app of choice and subscribe to it today. All right, guys, that down. Let's jump into it here, shall we? You know, The Meg was a movie they were trying for almost 20 years to get made. It was based on a novel. They initially tried to make it for a while. And then there was a big story many, many, many years ago when the studio was facing uh, some budget issues and uh, Rush Hour 3 was going to cost more to make than they thought. And they scrapped a Meg movie that they were going to do to make Rush Hour 3 many years ago. And then it sat on the shelf. And then Jason Statham came along and Meg came out a few years ago. Very different from the book. But still, <laughs> that movie came out. And listen, I am a giant shark guy, and I am a Jason Statham guy, and I am a ridiculous action guy. And I didn't love Meg. What? Yeah, it's weird. It's a movie that is, like, genetically made for me. But for whatever reason, it didn't quite click. I, I didn't hate it or anything like that. I just walked out going, eh. I mean, it had some really great moments and stuff like that, but it didn't work for me. But it did much better at the box office than a lot of people thought it would. And so they said pretty much immediately they were going to do a sequel. And it's been years in the making, but the first trailer is now here. Now, they showed us the trailer for The Meg to The Trench when we were at CinemaCon. And it's like they decided, you know what? Let's make this a little bit more bonkers. And you know what? The bonkers works. Now, you can't just have one giant Meg. You got to have three. What do they call it? A pod, a pod of, of Megs? Megalodons. 
a pod of megalodons swimming around the ocean. Start off with a, you know a megalodon coming out and eating a T Rex. You know, always always good to start with the dinosaur shots. Man, that's always good. And then what would a meg trailer be if you didn't have a giant seventy two ton shark hurling itself onto the water, only to be stopped dead in its tracks? by the mighty foot of Jason Statham Not as he kicks it in the snout, holding up that 72 tons as it's coming down on him. It's uh, one of the most audacious things I've ever seen. The science seen is on. completely sound. And yeah, the science is it completely good. absolute sense. Yeah, what's it. what's his name? What's the scientist dude name? Oh, Neil deGrasse Tyson? Yeah, I saw Neil deGrasse yeah. Tyson put out a video response to the trailer saying this entire trailer is completely he scientifically sound. He and Bill Nye sound. both were like absolutely yep. scientifically 100%. accurate, much like Fast and Furious. Mythbusters. You know what? I'll tell you what. I, before that trailer, was honestly not interested in Meg 2. After seeing the trailer at CinemaCon, <laughs> and now that it is out <laughs> there to the public, I would be lying if I didn't tell you I'm kind of interested in this movie now. It looks silly and bonkers and everything a movie called Meg 2 should be. Anyway, Chris, you saw the trailer. What do you think about it? First of all, Meg 1 was definitely worth the 20-year wait. Come on. <laughs> I was sitting near Ray for this at CinemaCon, and we both, I think, at the same time, were like, Ha-ha, this looks so stupid. Let's go. I'm very excited about this movie. I'm so glad all of you get to witness it now because I kept describing the whole, like, next in line predator moment of that opening because i do genuinely think it's awesome i love it so much of just this eats this and that eat that and then oh my gosh the megalodon comes in and gets the tyrannosaurus rex and drags it into the ocean it's ridiculous looking it's everything i want in a b movie don't you eat that puppy if that happens i'm gonna be real sad oh, then jason statham goes baby. all john wick like jason statham was let someone else take care of the sharks this time it ate your dog Fuck that shock. And it comes out and kicks it in the face. And him kicking it in the face was just the piece de resistance. I love this. That one's a little spooky. Don't love him. That looks, okay, I'm going to say. That's genuinely spooky looking. The design looks awesome. Yeah. The design looks killer. This movie could save some people's lives. I mean, it's going to tell you how to. I'm not really sure how that is. (laughs) That's what they're doing here, Ray. They're trying here to save lives. Say more words, Ray. Explain this to me. Shark awareness, baby. (laughs) Anyway, guys, question is for you. Have you seen the Meg trailer? If so, what do you think about it? Is it just look stupid to you yes. or is it like stupid in all the best ways possible? <laughs> yeah. What other things would you like to see Jason Statham kick? Whatever you guys think, <laughs> jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? You know, uh, there's this little movie out there called Mario Brothers that became the first billion-dollar film of 2023. Uh, Who knows? Maybe it'll be the last one to hit a billion dollars. I think there might be one or two others. But not only did it do that, but it became the first animated film in a while to climb into the top 10 all-time animated films. And as of now, Mario Brothers has climbed to the number five all-time animated film. Yeah. Number five. Now, I think the official number still has it literally... $4 $4 million behind Minions in fifth spot. But as of today, that $4 million gets passed. So that we are we are calling it here that Mario Brothers has climbed into the number five spot of all time, which is additionally, there's Ray's, uh, there, let's switch. <laughs> yeah, there he goes. He's ready to go. Which is additionally impressive when you consider how few animated films ever hit the billion dollar mark in the history of 
Hollywood, but also impressive when you consider the fact that, listen, the box office right now is still not what it was. I mean, it's recovered a lot, but it's still not what it was pre-pandemic time. So for this movie to come out and do this is impressive. So what is still ahead of it? How much higher can it climb? Let's go over and take a look at this chart here. So again, Mario Brothers has just passed Minions at one point. $159 million. Mario now with $1.16. So it's been able to climb up there and, and meet that number. Now, still ahead of it next is The Incredibles. All right. And that's still what? How many millions of dollars does that still have to go? Uh, $40, $80 million? Am I, is that, am I getting that number right? I can't, the, uh... I can't tell. I'm trying to figure it out. I think $80 million more to catch Incredibles number four. I think it's got a shot. So it's at one one. Okay, 1.15? Yeah, so at 1.16. It's got to catch oh, okay. 1.24. Mm-hmm. So about $80 million more to go. And, you know, with Guardians of the Galaxy 3 opening, it's it's eaten up a lot more of the box up. But I still I think it can still get another $80 million. Now, once you go from there up to Frozen in the number three spot, Ooh. now you're talking about needing another $120 million. That might be a little bit outside of reach for it right now. Uh, as Mario's now in what? It's sixth week of release now. Getting another $120 million might be too high, but I wouldn't count it out. It definitely won't catch Frozen 2. That's a big jump. Yeah, that's that's a huge jump. You're talking about needing like $300 million more dollars. Wow. That So Frozen Frozen 2, or yeah, Frozen 2 is definitely secure in the number two spot. And Lion King, uh, of course, that's the CGI version of Lion King from 2019, not the original animated one. Uh, but that one sits at... Uh, 1.663. So that's like another $500 million. So it definitely has, but Incredibles within reach, the number four spot. I think probably at the end of the day, that's where Mario Brothers settles is down into that number four spot. I think it'll just nudge out Incredibles and maybe just by a bit, stay behind Frozen for in the number three spot. Anyway, Chris, you saw this. Mm-hmm. I mean, how impressive considering today's context with still in the post pandemic stuff, not a ton of animated films have ever crocked a billion dollars. How impressive is it? What stands out to you about Mario getting in that number five spot and how high do you think it can climb on that chart? It's incredibly impressive. This is the top gun maverick of animated films. It really is. It's got legs. It keeps just boogieing on by. I do think this can go a lot higher though. I do think it can crack into the number four spot. And I think it actually has the potential for number three here just because again, people keep coming out to see this movie over and over and over. And there really isn't a lot of other fare, first of all, for kids right now. But also, you know, I keep seeing other 30-somethings run back to the theater to watch this movie multiple times. So I feel like there's a lot of potential for it to keep just bringing in that money. This this might be the shortest movie on that list we had up, too. Oh, I think you're right, Ray. Yeah, it, it is. It's definitely a short film. 100% so, it's a short film. That's helping it, too. If yeah. you just want a quick fix. Get, it got more show times. <laughs> now, I don't know that that... I don't know if the shortness of it. I mean, it certainly helped in the first week or two because you get those extra screenings and that maybe a two and a half hour movie couldn't get. But I mean, now, well, I mean, there are seats available if you want to go. After Guardians of the Galaxy, I could have used a little Mario after that one. You know yeah. what? That, that's not a bad point. There may be people who are like, huh, okay, I need, need a palate cleanser. <laughs> and they go in and just watch something like just dumb and delightful like Mario <laughs> Brothers. I mean, why not? Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Super Mario Bros. is climbing to the number five all-time animated spot in the box office. How much higher do you think it could go? Do you think it's already kind of peaked? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, you know what? I forgot to, to read the question off on that. 
Uh, that's okay. Uh, we got on the thing anyway. <laughs> guys, just so you know, we have brought back, due to high, high, high requests from you guys, we have decided to bring back the user-submitted questions. So I jumped into the community tab last night, and I announced to our community that we're opening back up the viewer-submitted questions. And uh, yeah, about 200 emails later, we got a whole ton of submissions for you. So let's get on to our next topic. You're talking a little bit about Jonathan Major. So Chris, what do we got? From uh, Bernanda Molina. Hi, John. Hopefully we're about to get some closure on this Jonathan Major situation. Today is going to be his first appearance in court. Since I'm a fan of his, I'm hopeful that the prosecutor is going to drop the charges. What are you expecting to happen? Do you think they'll drop the charges? Do you think we're going to hear more things that are damaging to Majors? If the charges are dropped, do you think he can still be Kang? Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in. And yeah, the, I mean, obviously the situation with Jonathan Majors has been a, a big deal lately for movie fans primarily because he's Kang right now. Maybe the most central figure we have in what's going on with Marvel Phase 5 and Phase 6, right? It's He's the key piece. He is Kang. The next big Avengers movie is literally called Kang Dynasty. We literally saw a football stadium full of Jonathan Majors at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And he's one of the hottest guys in the world right now as far as career has gone. Of course, then came the charges. He was arrested, all that kind of stuff. The, the admit denials from the lawyer, uh, the, the suggestion of evidence, all that kind of stuff. Well, today was his first day to appear in court. Uh, and a lot of people were wondering if the DA would drop the charges at this point, all that kind of stuff. Well, his first day in court's over. Uh, DA did not drop the charges. They're moving forward. Um, he amended the charges a little bit. Uh, this comes to us from the folks at the Hollywood Reporter who wrote the following. Uh, Majors appeared virtually Tuesday, uh, shown on a television screen in court, wearing a beige dress suit, uh, dress shirt, I should say, pictured against a white background. He did not speak other than responding affirmatively to the judge's prompts. Uh, the courts uh, and, sorry, the counts and charges have remained the same, but a new complaint but new complaint language from the district attorney indicates that the woman also allegedly experienced injury to the right arm and was pushed into the car by majors. In addition to the previously reported laceration to her right ear and finger, the complaint no longer includes reports of bruising uh, and injury to the neck. During the hearings, the defense team said they needed to review additional material with majors. So that was kind of the wrapping up of the whole thing. Now, a part of that is a protection order was made against Majors. A judge granted a protection order to keep Jonathan Majors away from the defendant. Uh, the, the defense for Jonathan Majors had no objections to it because they said Jonathan Majors doesn't want to have anything to do with her anyway. So that was uncontested. Now, in case you've been trying to follow this, here's a little bit of a timeline that has led us up until this point, okay? So on March 25th, that's the day everything hit the fan. Well, when Jonathan Majors got arrested, the reports came out, kind of shocked the world, especially like coming off of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, Creed II, all that kind of stuff. The next day, the Army pulled their ad campaign uh, that had featured Jonathan Majors. They pulled that down. On March 30th, Jonathan Majors' lawyer releases, released text messages that raised more questions. Uh, I think the intent of the lawyer releasing those text messages was to say, see... But instead, there was, it kind of backfired on them a little bit because a lot of people read those text messages and a lot of analysts looked at it and said, that's classic uh, abuse victim language. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I'm not saying that. I, I am no psychological expert whatsoever. But I'm saying they released the text messages. It raised more questions for some people. On April 18th, Majors' manager and PR firm dropped him. 
that was significant because you think in a situation like this, that's where majors could really use his PR firm. But the PR firm and his manager uh, parted ways with Jonathan Majors on April 18th. On April 19th, Variety reported that more alleged victims came forward to speak to the DA. It should be pointed out that at least in all the official reports I've read so far, no mention of those other alleged victims were brought up, which is not terribly unusual because if there are other victims, those will be separate charges and separate things. Again, if there's any at all, if there's anything at all, that's simply based on a report in Variety. So the fact that that report is there and the fact that there's no mention of those other victims in this particular case or in court today really shouldn't be surprising because those would probably be handled as separate charges. So then on April 20th, or yeah, on April 20th, uh, video claims to show a victim partying later seemingly okay. So apparently a couple of analysts had a chance to look at the video footage that Jonathan Major's lawyer had, and it apparently showed the alleged victim later on in the evening still going out to a club and at least from appearances looked perfectly fine. I haven't seen the video myself, but that's what the report said, that she looked perfectly fine. On April 27th, a judge issues the protective order against Majors to stay away from the alleged victim. Again, that uh, protection order was unopposed because the lawyer says Jonathan Majors doesn't want to have anything to do with her anyway. So today was the first day in court and charges did not get dropped. Didn't expect them to get dropped, to be honest with you, because the DA did not need to wait to get to court to drop the charge. The DA could, if the DA wanted to drop the charges, could have dropped the charges anytime. They could have just filed, filed a motion, said, we're, we're dismissing this, whatever, no problem, everything's done. That didn't happen. So now that means buckle up, we're in for a circus. Uh, and I, I particularly, look, I, I'm an individual on the outside looking in who says, we don't know squat. On the outside, we don't know squat. We're reading reports. We're hearing the defense saying the things the defense should say. We're reading reports about this and that, saying what the report should say. So I have no idea. I don't have any inclination of this, whatever. But with this now meaning probably a dragged out court case, the question will become, does Marvel stick with Jonathan Majors here? And it's not a question, because there are two rather silly points of view on this. I think there was one silly point of view that said immediately that Disney should have dropped Jonathan Majors. I think that was a silly uh, perspective. I think Disney has so much wrapped up in Jonathan Majors that you should take your time. You should figure out what's going on, what is real, what is not. Because the last thing you want to do is to go through some major upheaval when you didn't need to. The second silly thing is, well, Disney should just stick with Jonathan Majors no matter what. That is equally as silly. This is a business. Disney has hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars wrapped up and at stake here. And there's no reason Disney should allow Jonathan Majors' drama, as unfortunate as it is, to become their drama. Why should we suffer hundreds of millions of dollars in damages because of something that has nothing to do with us? And now with this court case proceeding, I wonder how long will Disney... Stick with it, not because of whether they think Jonathan Majors is guilty or not, but just from a more pragmatic point of view. Listen, we need to move forward with our stuff and we can't move forward when we don't know what's going to be happening with Jonathan Majors. So I just wonder from a practical point of view, do they say for all intents and purposes, innocent or not, Jonathan Majors is kind of unavailable to us as long as this court case is going on. So what do we do? And I don't know what the answer to that is. 
but it's going to take a little while for us to see and figure out. Anyway, Chris, uh, we looked at the timeline. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Majors made his first appearance in court. What do you think Disney and Marvel's response is? Because that's really our circle and sphere of interest here is how do things affect the movies? Obviously, there are more important things in the world than movies, but that's what we talk about here is the movies. So from that point of view, what is Disney and Marvel's response here? Do we think they're going to hang in until a certain point in the trial proceedings? Do we think they're, listen, we are in this ride or die, or listen, we just need to cut bait and start making future decisions? I don't know. What do you think Disney does here? I mean, yeah, first and foremost, obviously, we hope that everyone gets their fair day in court and that everyone who's involved is safe and sound and cared for. That all being said, I think that Disney is going to learn from Warner Brothers, honestly, a lot here. I think we are collecting facts. I think this whole court appearance and everything and waiting to see some of these things that happen is the right move for Disney at this point in time. I, again, just because treat one person one way, I think you should treat everyone the same way. I do wish there was some sort of statement released, too, of we are looking into this. We are talking more about this as opposed to the... current no comment no comment no comments for every article we've seen especially once it came to light that the defendant may have been involved as an employee on ant-man and quantumania so there's a lot of things that i hope disney steps up to the plate too about this i'm giving them a little bit of grace in time since the court date just happened right yeah that all being said i think again if they already have kang completely filmed for season two of loki it's not a all the money in the world situation, right? It's not a Tignataro replacing Crystalia situation. I think that you probably release Loki as is because that's what we did with Flash, right? Uh, that's already made. It's going to cost thousands of dollars, millions of dollars potentially to be redoing this series. But I think moving forward, if Jonathan Majors is found guilty of these crimes, then you do move forward with a new actor. I don't think you completely scrap the concept of having Kang as your big bad, since that is what everything's been working up to, but I think you just replace them. You know, we've seen this happen with other actors just for scheduling conflicts, for just a disinterest in the franchise or wanting to go work on other projects. It's not a huge deal, ultimately, honestly, if we have a new actor in the role. I've really enjoyed Jonathan Majors as Kang, think he was one of the shining lights in quantum mania i think he did a really really lovely job in it but that being said we do live in a time where accountability is very very important and a very family-friendly company like disney i'm sure wants to stay above board on how they are handling things and how their actors are behaving so that's how i would move forward personally here's what i think they should do with loki okay so this this court case is going to drag on yeah i would release loki as fast as possible I would say I would I would move up whatever timeline mm-hmm. and oh. say, you know what, let's just get this in theater. Let's get this on, on Disney Plus as quickly as possible. I agree. So like if if the worst case scenario happens and heaven forbid new charges get brought up or he's convicted of anything or it's like like worst case scenario for Disney. Well, then, you know what? Loki was already out. We already put it out long time after that. The question I have, I mean, obviously, if he's if Jonathan Majors is convicted of anything, obviously, Disney's going to part ways. But my question yeah. becomes. Like we, we've seen cases like this can last years. So how long does Disney wait? You know how, like if this thing, who knows, this thing could, could be resolved in, in four months, right? It could be quick or maybe two years. How long does Disney sit around and wait and say, and do they actually roll the dice and say, well, we're going to start filming Kang Dynasty with Jonathan Majors and hope the court case works out? Yeah. Or do they go, 
Listen, it's not practical for us to do that. We have to, I mean, I just don't know how long they wait. Right, because what actor too is going to sign some kind of contingency plan of, hey, so long as everything stays above board, you're in this movie, but if we hear anything else, bye buddy, we're going to scrap all the work you've done. You know, that's something too that I think Major's team, as he assembles a new one, that's something they're not going to sign on for either is, no, we need to have certainties. We need to have this in place to move forward as well. And of course, if, if Jonathan Majors is innocent in all of this too, there's going to need to be a whole big comeuppance of, you know, losing these campaigns, losing these managers, losing these PR people and everything, too. So it's a very, very convoluted issue as a whole of not only how does Marvel move forward, but how does Jonathan Majors move forward in his career? Yeah. And by the way, people have misinterpreted me before when I, I've, I've said before, I, I really do hope Jonathan Majors is innocent. They're saying you you want abusers to get away with it. No, no, no. I'm not saying I hope he's found innocent. I'm saying I hope he is Truly innocent. Truly is innocent. Yeah, yeah. I like I because I'm a fan of Jonathan Major, so I don't want to believe that he did the types of things he's being good. So I hope it turns mm. out that he's innocent. It's the thing we're never rooting for someone to be absolutely somebody who's violent. That's yeah, we didn't, not the case. We didn't yeah, say no. I hope he gets away. And I hope he gets hope away he with it. Yeah, I'm not saying exactly. I hope he gets away with it. I'm saying I hope he's innocent. Yeah. That's what I'm, anyway, guys. Question is for you. <laughs> What do you think about this? We looked at the timeline. He's had his first day in court now. The charges, I guess, are proceeding. How far do you think this can go? How long do you think Disney waits? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's head on over and get to our Mint Mobile hotline questions of the day. If you guys have a question for the show and would like to hear your voice on the show, go ahead and call our hotline number anytime 24-7 at 951-268-4259. And the first question has to do, how much prep work do you have to do to watch the new Flash movie? Check it out. Hi, John and crew. This is Jordan from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm a big fan of Michael Keaton, and I love his portrayal of Bruce Wayne slash Batman. I love what Andy Muschietti achieved when directing the It movies, chapters one and two. Long story short, I'm going to go see The Flash, but I need some guidance. I am not well-versed in comic book movies and cinematic universes, all that stuff. So I'm just wondering, for me or for anyone else, what homework I should do before seeing The Flash movie. Maybe I can walk in blind, maybe not. I don't know. You saw it. What film should we watch to prepare in order to see this movie? All right, Jordan. Thanks a lot for calling that in. You know, it, it's a great question. Saw Flash. Uh a couple weeks ago at CinemaCon, it it did not live up to the hype that Warner Brothers was like, it's the greatest comic book movie of all time. No, it's not. But it's great. It's really, really good. Uh, I was tremendously entertained by the film and I had a blast watching it. And it seemed like everybody, just about everybody in the theater that I came across who saw it as well, had a ball of a time. But the question will become, okay, how am I going to be able to watch this movie? Will I get it? Like if I haven't watched a whole bunch of other stuff, because that's becoming a problem in not just Marvel. We've talked about it becoming a problem with Marvel, but for DC too, it's like, do you have to do homework? Is this a safe movie to be an entry point if you never watch any other stuff? So I'm going to propose three movies here to you that to prepare yourself or what you don't need to do to prepare yourself to watch The Flash. I'm going to recommend a movie that you don't need to see. I recommend a movie that would be helpful if you saw and then a movie i think you probably should see before watching the flash all right so let's go with the first one here the first one that you don't need to see i don't think you need to see the michael keaton batman movies now don't get me wrong 
you should watch the Michael Keaton Batman movies just because they're awesome. But in 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 context of do you need to see the Michael Keaton Batman movies in order to get Flash, you really don't. And that's because they do such a great job of just bringing in Michael Keaton as Batman. It's like, you get it. This is a different realities Batman. You don't really need to have background information on the previous things that happened in Michael Keaton's movies. They don't really become relevant um, in this. And, and there's something else that's relevant, but it would be a spoiler to say, it's sufficient to say that it, it's really, you don't need to watch that one. So if you're getting ready to go see Flash, and you're like, how much do I need to watch? Do I need to watch the Michael Keaton Batman movies? I would suggest having seen Flash, you don't need to watch the Michael Keaton Batman movies. Although I would recommend you do it anyway, just to watch them, but not to what you don't need to watch them to watch Flash. All right, let's move on to a film then that I would suggest would be helpful. Not necessary, but certainly helpful. And that's Man of Steel. Uh, you guys know what I'm going to say. The most underrated comic underrated. book film of all time. Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. Oh, sorry. Uh, love this movie. <laughs> now, there is definitely, you can see from the trailers, that there are plot points connected to Man of Steel. Well, John, why would you say it would be helpful to see Man of Steel rather than you must watch it? I would say because of the tremendous job Andy Muschietti did by making it all self-contained. Like, the things in Flash that are connected to the events of Man of Steel are so well explained in the movie itself. The Flash movie itself so well explains the issues and items and scenes from Man of Steel that are relevant to this Flash movie they explain it so perfectly that, honestly, while it would still be helpful for you to watch Man of Steel first, I think you'll catch more of the nuance. You might appreciate some of the stuff even more. It's not absolutely necessary. So while you don't need to watch the Michael Keaton Batman movies, I would suggest if you've got the time, watching Man of Steel would be very helpful. But if you can't get around to Man of Steel, don't think you got to cancel your tickets for Flash because I still think you'll be okay. All right. So if our don't need to see it is Michael Keaton's Batman and our would be helpful to see it, I would say there is one that is necessary and that's Justice League, which whichever flavor you want, whether you want the theatrical or the HBO version, because I think a lot of the stuff that I appreciated a lot about Barry in this movie builds on foundational understandings of the character from Justice League. Now, you can go and watch Flash without having seen Justice League. You can, and you'll get it. But I think there's so much of the movie and so much of the character and so much of the nuance of the character that will be lost on you that I that I think it will significantly affect your enjoyment level of the film. And so that's why if you've only got time to watch one movie as homework before seeing Flash, I would suggest either flavor of Justice League. If you've got a little bit more time, I would suggest watching Man of Steel. And then, hey, if you got nothing but time, go ahead and watch the Batman movies with Michael Keaton, although they're not necessary in order to watch The Flash. So that's what I would suggest. Now, Chris, you strategically skipped out on watching Flash when we I were in Vegas. Did. So I did. I taught people instead. My husband saw it, though. What's that? My husband saw it. Logan went and saw it. Oh, yeah, that's dad. right. Yeah. Logan did see that. He gave did me a play-by-play, beat-for-beat of everything that happened in this movie. <laughs> did, did did Logan give you any sort of indication about, like, 
how much somebody might need to see in order to go in and watch Flash or anything like that? I mean, he really enjoyed the Keaton stuff so much that I do think that it might be nice to familiarize yourself with it if you've never seen those movies. And if you're a fan of the show, I assume you have. But hey, I haven't seen Gladiator. Things are crazy. So maybe you haven't seen this. So I would recommend that based on what he's talked about, just because he really enjoys this version of Batman. He's a big Michael Keaton fan. And he said that he's the real standout in this film. So that might be something that you could go do. Justice League makes sense to me. As much as I don't want to watch that movie again, I will be watching that again before I go see Flash, just so I can refresh myself on things. All right, guys. Question is for you. Have you thought about this? I, I, like maybe you're probably, I think probably a lot of people who watch the show are probably well-versed on all the three of those films that we've talked about, but maybe you're not. Were you thinking about getting caught up? You're going to follow my recommendations? Maybe not. Whatever you guys think, <laughs> jump down to the comments section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. We still got a number of things to talk about here. Nicholas Cage doing a sequel to Lord of War. Ryan Reynolds not being able to ad-lib any Deadpool 3 lines. How's The Little Mermaid doing that and a few things more. But before we get to that stuff, we want to take a moment here and thank a couple of the sponsors of our show today. The wonderful folks at Rocket Money and Manscaped. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of this video, Rocket Money. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Think about that. If you think you're only subscribed to a handful of services, you might want to double check. With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitor your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want and don't even use. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. My wife Ann and I moved out of Burbank two years ago and one of the first things I discovered when I loaded up Rocket Money was that I was still paying for a gym membership I haven't even been to in Burbank in two years. So stop throwing away your money. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to Rocket rocketmoney.com slash campia that's rocketmoney.com slash campia rocketmoney.com slash campia we want to thank the sponsor of today's video manscaped summer's coming are you ready to unveil your beach bod manscaped is here to ensure your body is ready for the wild with their game-changing full body grooming and hygiene products it is time to get ready for summer by going to manscaped.com for 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code campia guys you know i've been using manscaped products for a while now and i love starting every day feeling cleaner fresher and way more comfortable manscaped is dedicated to helping you increase your confidence and level up your full body grooming game with the Performance Package 4.0. The kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 4.0, waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. Inside the Performance Package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. And no one likes nose hair, so their package also comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0. You also get two 
free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance Reduce Chafing Manscaped Boxers. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you go to manscaped.com campia and use the code campia. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com campia and use the code campia. Trim your chesticles with the besticles. And thank you to our friends at Manscaped and Rocket Money for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. Remember, guys, when you check out and support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So if you go down to the description of this video, you'll find links and promo codes to all of today's sponsors. And again, thank you to Manscaped and Rocket Money. All right. With that down, guys, let's go back over to our Mint Mobile hotline for a second because we got a question in here about Nicolas Cage doing a Lord of War sequel. Check it out. Hey, Ray. I hope you're having a good day, and everyone else, too. I didn't know if you'd seen that Nicolas Cage and Bill Skarsgård are going to be playing father and son arms dealers in a Lord of War sequel. I love the first Lord of War. I think it's a little underrated. I know it's not super loved, but I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Are you excited for a sequel? Thanks. Bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for calling that in. And you know what? Lord of War... That starred Nicolas Cage, uh, Jared Leto, Ethan Hawke, uh, uh, Tom Brady's ex, Bridget Moynihan. Bridget Moynihan, yeah. Um, is a, I think, criminally underrated film. It, it, I I enjoyed it quite a bit. It, it's a story about this, you know, arms dealer and who's a real scumbag. But Nicolas Cage plays it with such charm. You kind of find yourself rooting for the scumbag <laughs> throughout the movie at any rate. I think it's an underrated film. And by the way, one of the best movie posters ever because it's Nicolas Cage's face, but it's done up with small bullet images. It's a mosaic. It's a mosaic of bullet images to make it. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. But here's the thing about the first Lord of War. While I enjoyed it, and I do think it's an underrated film, it is not exactly the type of film that you would expect to get the sequel treatment. I mean, let's look at some of these stats here for it. First of all, at the box office, there's a good look at that poster. That's a tremendous poster. But the movie worldwide made $72 million. Worldwide made $72 million. Not exactly high potential for sequelizing it. Not to mention it came out, I don't know, 50 years ago? I mean, how long? 2005. 2005. So what, 18 years ago? Yeah. Oh, that makes me so 18 sad. 18 years ago. It wasn't super well-received. Like, I think it's underrated, but it wasn't super well-received. The majority of the critics liked it, but not a huge majority. It only got a 61% critical score. It had a very respectable 84% audience score, which was great. But again, you look at this 18 years later, a movie that didn't blow it up with the critics and didn't blow it up at the box office, and you're doing a sequel now. Okay. I'm still interested, though, for two reasons. One, I like the first one, and I, I thought the first one was underrated. Two, it looks like this is going to be a very different kind of movie. Now, it's going to be called Lords of War because Bill Skarsgård, who was just in John Wick Chapter 4, doing the greatest French accent I've ever heard in cinema. And I say that as a Canadian. Best French accent I've ever heard in my life. A little bit of sarcasm there. But he was great in it. I loved him in that. He's going to play Nicolas Cage's son, only he's much worse. He's an arms dealer, too. And I think Nicolas Cage is like, you got to be stopped. It's like, I'm an arms dealer too, but I have a line that I won't cross. And you know what? As ridiculous as that sounds, sign me up. Nicolas Cage 
look, we all get it. He got into some financial trouble and he started taking 500 movies that were well beneath him to do just to get out of the financial hole he was in. But make no mistake about it. He is one of the finest actors in the world. When he turns it on, he's unbelievably good. And Bill Skarsgård, right? Well, the whole freaking Skarsgård clan. They are so, so talented. I, I mean, I... Just genetically gifted to be obscenely good actors. Yeah, the whole clan. Yeah. All of them. And he's turned, he is no less, he's turned into one of the great ones. Of course, his older brother is kind of dominating the world right now, but mm-hmm. all of them know they'll never be as good as their dad because <laughs> he's like the best of the bunch. But I think, and listen, you talk about this new premise, father versus son. I dig that sort of thing. So you know what? Sign me up. I'm, I'm still surprised they're doing it, but I like the sound of it. Anyway, Chris, you heard about this. Are you surprised that they're doing a sequel to it? Do you yeah. like the sounds of it? What do you think? I am surprised because, again, this is a 2005 film that, you know, I, I didn't hear a lot of buzz about even when I went to see it. I went, I was a senior in high school when this came out and my friend made me go see it because she was very in love with Jared Leto, who played Nicolas Cage's little brother. And I walked out of it really enjoying this movie, though. But, you know, I never really heard other people talking about it. I like the idea of this, though. I think it's really, really interesting. Yuri's such a fascinating character, too. He's kind of this amalgamation of five different actual gunrunners. Yeah, in real uh, life, in real that life. they kind of made into one character. And they worked really closely with actual gun runners to make this movie very, very realistic and everything. So I think there's a lot of potential here. For all of you who are very into Bill Skarsgård, though, I do need you to Google young Steve Buscemi. Yeah. <laughs> all right? I just need you to do that so that you know. Is he the one in that video that says, hello, fellow kids? Is yes. that? Yes, <laughs> okay. Him. That was actually <laughs> Bill Skarsgård, not it's Steve Buscemi. It's actually him doing that. It's his double. But I think there's a lot of potential here. I think this could be really, really fun. And you know, Nicolas Cage, sure, he was making a lot of just paycheck movies for a long time but in the last few years he has really been doing stuff that i think is really wonderful work back to the kind of the caliber that he's at too you know i know not everyone loved the unbearable weight of uh, massive talent talent. i really enjoyed it i thought it was great he's fantastic in spider-verse he's phenomenal in pig there he is see it's the same guy he's so good in pig if anyone hasn't seen that i mean if you need to be seen mandy I have not seen Mandy. So good. Oh, but he he really, I think, is coming back into his game. And he's the best part of Renfield. So I think that anyone who has any kind of recalcitrance to go see a Nicolas Cage movie needs to kind of just tamper that down because I think he's doing some solid work now. Look, I know we're talking about an Academy Award winning actor. Yeah. But I, I know I'm going to take a lot of flack for this. When I think of Nicolas Cage, I just think of Big Daddy. And I don't even mean that in a funny way. He was like the spiritual center of that. Of he Kick-Ass. was so good in Kick-Ass. He was so good in Kick-Ass. You anyway, felt guys, his absence in the second one. Yeah, no, I, I've always said that that Kick-Ass 2 had a Nicolas Cage-shaped hole in its heart. Yep. You just felt the absence of Big Daddy in Kick-Ass 2. But yeah. anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Apparently, they're making a sequel to Lord of War called Lords of War with Bill Skarsgård playing his son. Are you surprised they're doing it? Have you been waiting for this? Maybe you've never even heard of the original film. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, we got our next topic sent in here by one of our viewers asking about a work stoppage on Daredevil. What do we got? This is from Geeky Gator. Gator. Hey, John and crew. It looked like Daredevil was going to be able to continue production without too much trouble because apparently all the scripts have been finalized. But now the strike has gotten Daredevil too. 
There's a story that the WGA writers are protesting where Devil, Daredevil is shooting, and all the local Teamsters and members of IATSE are refusing to cross the picket line, thus shutting the production down. How badly do you think this disrupts production, and could its release date be pushed back? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in. Yeah, listen, it's it's been a big thing going on ever since the writer's strike has ended. The big conversations have been, okay, which movies and TV shows already have their scripts locked, are already in production and won't be affected, and which ones will be affected? And, you know, we just talked about yesterday about Blade is shut down now because they they literally just hired a new writer and then the next day the writer's strike happened, so that shut that down. We've heard Stranger Things season what, what is it going to be now? Season five? Five. Five. Stranger Things new season is now on hold because of that. But there have been other things. And one of the things that we were told is now going to be able to move forward because all the scripts were locked was Daredevil. Well, turns out the writer's strike can get you in more ways than one. Because according to reports coming out now, the production on Daredevil, at least for now, has been shut down. And this comes to us from Deadline. And they posted up a tweet that was put out by the Writers Guild of America East that said this, WGA members on strike set up a sunrise picket line at Silver Cup East where they're supposed to be filming Daredevil. But members of the Teamsters Local 817 and IATSE, who remember last year had their own potential strike situation and had to do their own negotiations, locals 829 and 52 are refusing to cross the picket line. And because those people can't be there, because those... Union members, those Teamster members, IOTC members were doing all the other stuff, that all the work that needs to be done on the set of a production of a television show or a movie, because they're not there, they can't work. So even though the scripts were done, the picket lines are stopping production being done. How bad could this be? I honestly don't think it'll be that bad. I, I think right now, what I think what they're doing is symbolically... Uh, making noise, which is exactly what a striking organization should be doing. They should be making noise. But I don't think their plan is to keep Daredevil shut down. My guess is, and it's only a guess, and Chris, you'll be able to speak to this better than I can. My guess is you're going to see a rotating and revolving um, locations of protests. Because I think Billions got shut down for an identical reason. Now Daredevil got shut down, but I don't think they're just going to weigh anchor down on Daredevil and keep that. I think now they're probably going to go off to another production somewhere mm -hmm. and disrupt as much as they can, which is exactly what a, a striking body should do. So in the long run, my guess, and it's just a guess, my guess is I don't think this will have any long-term effects on Daredevil. And I honestly wouldn't be shocked to find out they go back into production today or maybe it'll stretch on for a few days. But I don't think, think that'll be long-term repercussions. We'll find out there. Anyway, Chris, uh, you saw this report. Right now, Daredevil's shut down. So I don't know. What do you think is going to happen here? I mean, we are mobilizing to different locations, everyone who's striking. So that is going to be a thing where you aren't necessarily crossing that picket line at the same place every single day. Uh, but I will say, I just want to speak to the solidarity here because the Hollywood Reporter uh, reported on this a few days ago. On May 3rd, there was a big solidarity meetup, basically, at the Shrine Auditorium here in LA. And it was, you know... Teamsters, IATSE, SAG, DGA, all these folks coming together. And I just want to read this quote from it, too. Um, this is from Lindsay Darty, the head of the Teamsters Local 399. The only way we're going to beat these motherfuckers is if we do it together. Another person there said, I've been around 25 years and I've never seen all the unions this united or on the same page. 
They're all getting variously screwed by these companies, and they know the only way to win is to stick together. It's a million percent different from the last time around. Wow. So this solidarity that everyone is showing is very, very different from the previous strikes. And it looks like that this is going to be everyone just really, really coming together to make these changes. The president just weighed in on this. The president of the United States just weighed in on the writer's strike saying that they should get fair wages and everything. So I'm hoping that this all means that these strikes are going to end soon and that negotiations will actually happen where things won't just be completely dismissed. There'll actually be a discussion and they're going to come to terms on things. And hopefully that means that these shows, these Marvel shows and these other shows that are in production can get back to what they need to be doing, making great quality entertainment for you. And once again, everyone, it's not a good writers versus bad writers or anything like that. It is all WGA members, all writers, every writer that you've ever loved who's made a show, they're part of this union. Okay. So these are folks, too, who are just trying to get what they deserve. And it stinks that maybe some of these shows are going to have some casualties and we might lose some quality here. But honestly, in the long run, I'm very, very proud of all of our various unions, including mine, for standing up for themselves. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about this? You know, I, I'm reminded of this thing. My my real estate agent, when Ann and I bought our first house a couple of years ago, uh, and we're entering into the negotiations of it, he said something that has always stuck with me. He said, the key to a successful negotiation is when everybody ends up a little unhappy. You know, because you've always heard the terms like a good negotiation is when everybody walks away happy. No, actually, the sign of a good negotiation is when everybody, everybody walks away a little bit unhappy. And we'll see if that turns out to be the case between the producers and the writers. Guys, what do you think about this? Uh, Now some shows that we're really looking forward to, like Daredevil, are being delayed at this point. I don't think there'll be a long-term delay, but... You never know, but maybe they can get back to shooting really quickly. Whatever you guys think about this, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our next topic here. And our user submitted question is about, you know, Ryan Reynolds not being able to be Ryan Reynolds on the set of Deadpool 3. Chris, what do we got? From Rudy Pena, with Deadpool 3 beginning production soon, does the writer's strike affect any of the on-set ad-libs and any additional writing that may happen? I would hate to see a Deadpool where improvisation is not welcome. Thanks and bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in Rudy. Now, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on this particular specific subject, but my understanding would simply be this. Let's say you have a completed script and the movie's ready to shoot and you're shooting and there's a writer strike going on. I don't think there's anything that would prohibit an actor for ad-libbing some lines and and the director going, yeah, I love that. Let's keep that. I don't think there's anything stopping that. Now, of course, Ryan Reynolds, particularly in the Deadpool movies, is infamous for just kind of riffing his own stuff sometimes, which is why it has such, Deadpool has such a Ryan Reynolds feel to it, is that he has done a lot of that. So will he be able to do that? Well, I'll tell you what. I did a quick search And I could not personally find an answer to this question. I emailed Ryan Reynolds, surprise, surprise, I didn't get an answer back, but asking this question, is Ryan Reynolds a member of the WGA? Ryan Reynolds has a writing credit on Deadpool 2. Uh, And there's other things that he maybe should have credit on, but, but never did get credit on. But I could not find an answer about whether or not he was a WGA member. But then I came across this in Deadline, which they seem to suggest that maybe Ryan Reynolds is? This is what's in Deadline. It says the following. 
As for the films going into production soon, Deadpool 3 is up is up first. Star Ryan Reynolds is known for working as a writer on the films he produces and stars in, either uncredited as in the case of Deadpool 2, credited. Under the current strike rules, while non-writer, director, or producers can make small adjustments to the script under the A through H clause, a writer such as Reynolds would not be allowed to. Now, it doesn't say the words explicitly, but I think what is implied here is that Reynolds is a WGA writer. And if he is indeed a WGA writer, he can't do anything any creative input in the movie while the movie's shooting. He might be able to say, hey, what if we had the light on this side instead of that side? He might be able to say, hey, how about instead of a chihuahua, we use a dachshund for the dog here. He might be able to do that. But when it comes to creating dialogue and narrative, the rules of the union strictly prohibit him from having any creative input on that. So even though he's the producer of the film, even though he is the star of the film, if he's considered a writer, then he can't do any of that. Now, that is not the end of the world because hopefully yeah, he was with the writers, you know, that they did the other Deadpool movies. Hopefully they poured all that energy and creativity into the script as it is. And by the way, we're still a little ways off from Deadpool 3 starting to start shoot shooting. So hopefully, fingers crossed, the strike gets resolved before this happens. But there is a very real possibility here that we're going to get a Deadpool 3 where, hey, man, I hope you got all your best magic on the script because that's the only place you can draw it from. Anyway, Chris, have you been in a situation like this? I mean, the last writer strike was 15 years ago. Yeah. But is there a scenario where actors who are not members of the WGA can do some ad-libbing and improv uh, improvisation? Or if they're also happen to be members of the WGA, they can't. I, I don't know. How, can you make some sense out of this? Yeah, the WGA bit kind of throws a wrench in everything, right? If you are not a member of the WGA, say Hugh Jackman, you would be able to fully be improvising along on set. That's why when we had Quantum of Solace during the last strike, Daniel Craig was able to punch things up, rewrite things, do things. Because he's not a member of the WGA. He's not a member of the WGA, and I think we all saw why. No offense <laughs> to you, Daniel, but it wasn't the greatest bond. How so rude. So when we have something like, we brought this up earlier this week, if you have something like a commercial, usually those scripts are written by marketing teams and everything too, and a lot of times they bring in actors, usually non-union actors, to improvise those things as well. Sometimes it's a SAG mandated things uh, too, where they'll just have you improvise lines, you have a storyboard, and you kind of just get the gist of things. But for this... Because Ryan has writing credits, and if he is, in fact, a member of the WGA, him adding that kind of input would be him crossing that picket line. Mm. So that's the issue. It would then also get him banned from the WGA with the potential of never being admitted ever again. So that's an issue here, too, is a lot of people are saying, who's going to stop him? How would they hold this accountable? I know. I love that. They're like, who's going to who, who would step up to Superman and stop him on set? I'm like, it's an entire... It's business. an entire like, crew. It's about? an entire crew of people who are in this industry who, again, are fighting for each other's fair wages. So I think the workaround here is are you could have somebody like Jackman maybe doing some improv and everything, and he gets Ryan's sense of humor. They do funny bits together all the time. But it is a very, very convoluted issue of just this is in a way you rewriting things and as a member of the WGA. That is not allowed at this time if you would like to remain in good standing. Okay. Now, now, as somebody who's never been in one of the Hollywood unions mm -hmm. myself, tell me if this understanding is correct or not, because it could very well be very, very wrong. Uh, there Are there not projects that are considered union projects where it's like, hey, if you want 
a director from the DGA and actors in SAG to be in this movie. It has to be a script by a WGA member. Is, is that because could that be one of the repercussions for Ryan? Because if he's kicked out of the WGA, maybe scripts he writes in the future will not, not be able to be made by anybody because it will technically not be a union project. Is is that a fair assessment? Am Ooh. I a little off? Am I, I way I need off? to talk to my friends who are in the WGA more to fully understand that. I feel like that is correct, but I don't want to give any misinformation since right. that's Which not Which would be a-, a huge repercussion for yeah. someone like Ryan Reynolds to say, oh, if I get kicked out of the WGA, none of the, any movies I want to write in the future can't get made. I mean, yeah. again, we are nebulous about this. Mm-hmm. I could be way off in this. We're just thinking out loud here. But anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? Maybe it's not a big deal. Think, you know what? Those screenwriters, uh, they are so good and they worked with Ryan for so many years on this script. It's probably gold the way it is. Don't need to worry about it. Maybe you're like, hey man, if Ryan Reynolds can't ad lib on set, this could not be as funny as the other ones. I don't know. Whatever you guys think about this, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, Let's get into our final main topic here today, shall we? As a user submits a question about the first reactions we're hearing from The Little Mermaid. Chris, what do we got? This is from Brandon. Hi, John. I think most people would agree that Disney has had a shoddy track record with their live-action remakes. However, it seems as though they might have a big win on their hands with The Little Mermaid. The first reactions have come out, and while not everyone is loving it, the ones that do are saying it is the best Disney live-action remake to date. If that claim is true, how big could this movie be at the box office? All right, Brandon, thanks a lot for writing that in. Yeah, so the first screenings of The Little Mermaid have happened, and the first reactions are now coming out. And and the question is a good one. We talked about this the other day. How big of a movie can this be? We talked about the initial projections for it being about a $110 million opening weekend. Now, when we talked about that, we brought up a big, long list of the other Disney animated stuff that all made way under $110 million and did quite well at the box office. So that's $110 million is a would be theoretically a very solid number for something like a little mermaid. Well, the first reactions are now out. Is it good? Now, look, I I have confessed on this show. I am not really a little mermaid guy. I, I, I don't look when I think of my favorite animated films of all time, little mermaid doesn't come on my list, but this movie jumped pretty far ahead of the attention line for me. When we saw some stuff at CinemaCon for it, including, uh, Ursula's number of poor unfortunate soul souls by Melissa McCarthy, which was pretty dynamite to be honest with you. I'll give it that. Well, now the first reactions are coming out and they are basically this. The movie's great, but it's uneven that that seems to be the general consensus. Let's look at some of the reactions that came out here. Jazz uh, Tanksy says uh, Disney's live action is magical, emotional, and enchanting. Rob Marshall just directed Disney's best ever live action film. Lin-Manuel Miranda and Alan uh, Menken's Beautiful Music Shines. Halle Bailey, by the way, I'm going to say Halle Berry several times today accidentally, so cut me some slack. Halle Bailey is absolutely extraordinary, and Melissa McCarthy is a badass Ursula. Uh, Courtney Howard wrote, though, charming, but incredibly spotty. Halle Bailey, Jonah Howard King, Melissa McCarthy, and Javier Bardem put their heart and souls into a film that can't escape its animated legacy. Best when it leads into campy bonkers, yet limits its fantasy elements for no reason. Then we got one from uh, Simon Thompson, wrote, endearing but uneven. 
The Little Mermaid doesn't deliver the magic of the animated classic, but there are plenty of creative touches from Mar Rob Marshall to float the audience's boats. Halle Bailey and Melissa McCarthy are great. David Diggs and Aquafina provide solid comic relief. Uh, next up, we got one from uh, Kristen Acuna, who says, Little Mermaid is filled with a few great performances from Halle Bailey and Melissa McCarthy, but it's a mostly paint-by-numbers remake that isn't as good as the animated masterpiece. I don't think a lot of people expect it to be as good as the original. Uh, our friend Germain Lussier was probably most critical when he said, it's real simple. Are you excited for The Little Mermaid? If so, you'll like it. It's exactly what you think it is. Are you skeptical and worried about it? That's valid too. It looks weird and disjointed. Bailey is great. McCarthy rules. The songs work, but it just feels so unnecessary. I got to say, I love Germain, but I got to say this. One of the things that I hate most when movie critics say, it's felt unnecessary uh, when they're talking about a movie as a whole. Because I'm thinking, you do know no film in the history of Hollywood has ever been necessary. Meet right? Joe Dirt was. What's that? <laughs> Meet Joe Meet Dirt. Meet Joe Dirt. Well, other than Meet That's Joe Dirt. Yeah. Other than Meet Joe Dirt. But whatever. So there's that. Now, but then you get a lot of glowing stuff, right? Uh, again, before we get to those, uh, Matt Neglia writes... It may look visually rough under the sea, but The Little Mermaid eventually uh, recreates some of the original's magic through its timeless story and cast. David Diggs and Melissa McCarthy are highlights, but Halle Bailey is the one uh, is the one that astonishes with her gorgeous singing and emphatic charm. Uh, then we go on to Zoe Rose Bryan, who writes, The Little Mermaid is a live-action remake that retains the heart and soul of the story we know and love, and it's elevated even further by a note-perfect star-making performance from Halle Bailey. She was born to be on the big screen, and she's why this new take is worth watching. Uh, then we get to Kathia Woods, who writes, The Little Mermaid is a tribute to all little girls to dream big. Halle Bailey is sheer magic, and David Diggs delights as Sebastian. Our friend Eric Davis, who I just bumped into at CinemaCon, right? Disney's Little Mermaid is definitely one of the better live-action adaptations. Halle Bailey pours incredible emotion into Ariel, and I got chills watching her while Melissa McCarthy's Ursula and David Diggs' Sebastian steal scenes all day. And we'll end on this one. Felicia wrote, the Little Mermaid makes it pretty close to being the best live-action Disney movie. However, it still struggles in the villain department. Halle Bailey is Ariel, and I had literal chills throughout her performance. This is a Little Mermaid retelling like you've never seen before. So, generally speaking, here's, here's what I've gleaned. I, I read about 15 to 20 other ones. Generally speaking, this seems what I think we can boil it down to. The general consensus is the movie's great. Halle Bailey is phenomenal. I mean, like even the people who are kind of more critical about the movies, like, yeah, this is, this, but Halle Bailey is amazing. It reminds me a lot of a lot of the early criticism that came out for the theatrical version of Justice League or, or sorry, Batman versus Superman. Because a lot, there were a lot of critics like, ah, eh, the movie didn't work. You know what? Ben Affleck was pretty awesome as Batman. Like that, that's, that's the kind of sense I'm getting, that kind of Ben Affleck comparison. That's even some people who didn't seem to love Little Mermaid are saying, but Halle Bailey is fantastic. There was a, uh, a little bit of a thread in there of some disjointedness, maybe some unevenness, a little bit of spottiness in the film. So that's something we're going to keep our eye on. But again, even those people are saying, but oh yeah, fuck Halle Bailey. Halle Bally? <laughs> Halle Bally. Halle, Halle Bally. Halle Bailey apparently is a superstar. Uh, and everybody seems to be pretty damn happy with her. The, the same seems to be said of Melissa McCarthy, which is good. I'm really interested in seeing how Javier Bardem works out in this. Anyway, Chris, 
Uh, we've been looking forward to seeing what the first reactions for the film are going to be. They're out there. Are these right along where you thought? Are they better than you expected? Worse than you expected? What did you think? I think this is all great. This is pretty much where I was hoping things would be. Halle Bailey, when we first got that casting notification about this, I was very, very excited. And that did give me hope about this film because her voice is so incredible. So I'm really, really happy to hear that she delivers and this is firing on all cylinders for her. Melissa McCarthy, I was a little more skeptical of after we saw that footage at CinemaCon. I was in. So I'm also happy to see that for the majority, everyone's also very on board with her. I'm really happy to hear about David Diggs and Aquafina doing well in this too. That makes me very happy. They're great performers, but I wasn't sure about how Scuttle and Sebastian were going to be in this film, especially since they're a little more realistic looking. Well, and even in the footage we saw at CinemaCon, while we all loved what we saw at CinemaCon, the one thing we heard some people comment on coming out of CinemaCon was, Sebastian, and, and like, did that really work? I mean, great. Yeah. it was only a very, very small, tiny little sample size. No, got. Ariel, that was all we got. Yeah, it was, was all no. Ariel. Okay. It was yeah. all Ariel. So, I'm, I'm very, very happy about these. The disjointed thing that honestly has been such a through line for all of these live action remakes. I mean, honestly, for me, aside from Cinderella, most of these have uh, been Cinderella. pretty crummy. You know, they don't live up to the the magic and the wonder and the beauty of these other films. You think about something like Beauty and the Beast, which was an Academy Award nominated film, not for Best Animated Feature, but Best Picture. First animated film ever to do it. Yeah. These are incredible movies that really have a lot of nostalgia tied to them. And they actually are really, really fantastic films, too, in their own right. So it's really nice to see that this one is a higher caliber than those other live action ones. But again, for the most part, we continue to have seen those kinds of remakes, these kinds of live action adaptations, not really delivering and the animated classic remaining the one true film you should go see. That's not to say that, you know, this negates those existing or anything, but I feel like this is something that Disney just really needs to work on if they want to keep mining their own IP and do these live action adaptations. They really need to find out a way to make this feel a little more cohesive since it's a constant note for all the ones they've done. Here's here's where I think Disney might be in a no-win situation, though. I don't know that you can ever make a remake of an animated classic that people will be happy with. I mean, I, at least on whole, because it reminds me a lot of the whole thing about when there's a popular book, when you read the book first, this is why I have a rule that if there's a movie coming out of a, that is based on a book and I haven't read that book yet, I will not read the book until I see the movie. Because when people read a book first, they now have the movie in their head. That's true. They, they, they know in their head what this should look like, what this should sound like, what this should be, whatever. And it's almost like no matter how good that movie on screen is, unless it didn't match up to what you wanted it to be and look like in your head. And I wonder with the, if the fact that so many of us look at these animated things, like I loved Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. Loved, it's fun. Loved, loved it's it. super fun. But even I though I loved one. it, mm-hmm. I'm still like, yeah, but it's not as good as the original. Like, and, and, and sure. I think there's a little bit of that in me too. So I wonder if it's a battle that Disney can ever win. The one argument I'd make against that is just, and this is because I'm a theater kid, the stage adaptation of Beauty and the Beast is so good. It's so yeah. incredible. And so even that was, okay, I'm not going into the movie expecting beat for beat getting Paige O'Hara's Belle. I know I'm not getting that, but I'm going to get that beautiful Broadway production that I'm used to. And then they changed songs and then there were other things. And honestly, Belle was kind of mean at points where I was like, why am I rooting for Gaston sometimes? I don't know. So there, there's just, yeah, there's a failure to to really adapt correctly or well. And I think you're right that there is that kind of factor of we just love these other things so much. But 
It's been done in other mediums. I feel like they can crack it. Yeah, I mean, there, I mean, there's no excuse for like how Maleficent or some of those other ones turned out. But at any rate, guys, question is for you. The first reactions for The Little Mermaid are now out. Are they right around where you expected them? Are they worse than you expected? Are they much better than you expected? What are you looking forward to going in to see this movie? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, we are now going to go over and start taking the questions that you guys have sent in. Remember, you can send in a question or a comment anytime, 24-7, by using the tip link simply at streamelements.com slash johncampia slash tip. Now, before we get to those questions that you guys have sent in, we're going to take a moment and thank a couple of more sponsors to today's episode, our friends at Masterclass and my mobile service provider, Mint Mobile. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn filmmaking from James Cameron himself, you know, the guy who made three of the four biggest films of all time. Improve your writing by taking screenwriting from one of the greatest who's ever done it, Aaron Sorkin. Or maybe learn how to make great comedic content by taking comedy by the one and the only Judd Apatow. And many of you guys know I'm a big poker guy, and I recently got a chance to sit down and watch Daniel Negreanu, one of the greatest poker players in the world, teach poker. It was absolutely fantastic. But guys, whatever you're interested in, there is a class for you with over 180 exclusive classes taught by the instructors you know and love. And you can explore lessons in any order you'd like across your phone, tablet, Apple TV, computer, and on the go with audio mode. Individual lessons range from about 10 to 15 minutes in length that fit easily into your everyday life. Guys, I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class and as a John Campia show listener you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash Campia now. That's masterclass.com slash Campia for 15% off Masterclass. We want to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. You guys know that ever since I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been saving almost 70% a month over my old phone plan. For people looking for extra savings this year, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Masterclass and Mint Mobile for being sponsors of today's episode of the John Campia Show. Okay, guys, with that all down, let's now move on to your question, shall we? So, Chris, what do we got up here? From Goosey. Hey, crew, the live show was so much fun. 
Me and my girlfriend have attended both live and person shows. I was the person by the stairs who asked the very last question and won the signed poster. Oh! Hopefully we can do this again for the Marvels or Spider-Verse. All right. Thanks. Well, first of all, of course, we did our live event uh, in Burbank at Flappers Comedy Club this past Sunday. By the way, you can still watch it if you want. You can go to moment.com slash movie club. That's moment.com slash movie club. If you're still interested in watching the event with me, Greg Alba from The Real Rejects, and of course, Christian Harloff. Uh, thank you so much for coming. That was great. We, we autographed a couple of Gardens of the Galaxy posters and gave those away. I'm glad you were there, man. All right, what's next? From Chris1529, I read Thunderbolts is supposed to start shooting next month. Do you think it'll be delayed because of the strike? Apparently, that's one of the productions that is completely locked and ready to go. Like they say, their script is completely airtight. They're ready to go. Now, of course... I think they're counting on at some point during the production, the the strike will get resolved at some point. Uh, and then they can do some, and, and you know, here's the other thing too. Marvel was really the first studio that started planning reshoot dates before they even started shooting the movie. That was, that used to be unheard of in Hollywood. Like it used to be in Hollywood that reshoots were a sign that your film was a disaster and it was an absolute last resort when something had gone incredibly terribly because it's way more money and Marvel with all the money they were making on their movies, they became the first studio that going, okay, we're going to plan this movie already plan when we're going to go and do reshoots already plan it. Cause we're going to get new creative ideas as we're editing the film and we got the money to do it. So I think they're counting on being able to do that just in case something isn't working out the way they thought it would on page. So yeah, I think Thunderbolts is probably going to go ahead as long as the unions don't pick it in front of their studio where they're shooting, uh, which could delay it. But other than that, I think they'll be okay. All right, what's next? From Ulysses Smith. Hi, John Campion Show crew. As much as it may not matter to some, diehard fans like me may contemplate what the title may be for the last Fast. I was thinking, and since this is called Fast X, what if they go with Furious, Furious X, the next movie? Just like Fast Five was... Just oh, like Fast Five it, was. Yeah. No, next one up. Oh, uh, oh call. one of one, two of two. Oh, All right. Yeah, do one of two. Uh, call the, the, then the next was Fury 6. Would they repeat that using the X title since it's supposed to be two parts of 10? I know most won't care enough to think about it, but I was hope. Uh, but I was because I'm hoping for the last two to be as good as five and six or better. Well, I mean, here's the thing, Ulysses. Um, I mean, I think we all want the final two Fast and Furious movies to be as good as five, six or seven. But make no mistake about it, the title won't have any influence on how good or bad the movies are, <laughs> like at all. My guess is they are going to call it Fast X Part 2. I know that's not a good title. I know it's not. But I think that's what they're going to do. By the way, I have no insider information on that. I'm not saying that I've been told. Like, Vin Diesel grabbed me at CinemaCon and said, just so you know, John, it's Fast X Part 2. That was a terrible Vin Diesel. That was, that was an uh, awful, yeah, awful I, Vin Diesel. That was like paging Mr. I, Herman. That actually made paging me Mr. Pw. <laughs> paging Mr. Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> um, that's exactly what the voice was I just did. Anyway, uh, but my again, my guess is going to be Fast X Part 2. But, you know, maybe facts, Fast XI or uh, Fast Forever. XI. That's You know what? That's what it's going to be fucking called. They're going to call it Fast Forever. Family, friends, and Fast Forever. Family, friends, and Fast Forever. Fast right. family plan. What's next? From uh, I tip and say hi. Hi. 
Hey, thank you. I appreciate that very much. That's very kind of you. From Mike H., happy birthday to the Bond film franchise. Dr. No was released in theaters on May 8th, 1963. Nice. Is that the first Bond film? Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Dr. No. Wow. So that makes it, what, 50, 60 years old? Yes. Up there. And listen, you know what? What? I heard. (laughs) I heard. Don't worry about this story. I can't confirm this. I can't. I can't claim the validity of this. Validity of this. But I heard by August we're going to know who the new James Bond is. Ooh. I, again, I, I can't validate that. But I, I'm just. That's why we're not going to make a video with the title. Who the new? When the new James Bond? But but I, I will just say in a casual way. I've heard we're gonna. They're going to announce it by August. But I, whether that's true or not, we'll find out. All right. It's very what's exciting. Next? From Wesley C. Hey, y'all. No, it pains us all to think, but honestly, with all the delays, rewrites, etc., and potentially more to come at this point, new writer now can't write till after the strike. Over under 45%, um, Ali ultimately walks from Blade. Our undead superhero reboots cursed. Oh. Okay, there's two trains of thought here. Uh, The one train of thought is, yeah, he may walk. Or they may need to move on without him because, again, it was four years ago that they announced him. He was 45 at the time when they announced that they were he was the new Blade. And starting a brand new franchise at 45 is it's within parameters, a little on the older side to start a brand new action comic book franchise. Somebody brought up to me the other day that, hey, Keanu Reeves was, I, I can't remember which age, but Keanu Reeves was a bit older when he started John Wick. Yeah, but John Wick was never supposed to be a franchise. That was supposed to be a, a one-shot movie and all that kind of stuff. But, and now Mahershala Ali is... I mean, he's heading towards 50. He's, he's 49 now, heading towards 50. And is that, can he be Blade for the next 12 years? Maybe, or, or maybe he may not want to be. So on the one hand, I think there's a good shot that this doesn't happen. But on the other hand, he has invested so much of himself into this already from being involved with trying to get the writing process on on the right level to tr- physically training and all that kind of stuff. I just think at this point, he's thinking, I've put too much into this not to do this movie now. So my guess is we are going to get this movie and it will be Mahershala Ali. But I'm not going to be stunned if we don't. I'll, I'll just kind of leave it at that. All right, what's next? From Brandon, James Gunn just confirmed in an interview that Crypto the Superdog is going to be in Superman Legacy. I think if anyone can make a character that wacky work, it's James Gunn. Thoughts and who do you think they'll get to voice him? I don't know that that's true. Let's say if it was true, though. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't think that's true. And I, I, I think, I think here's the thing. I haven't seen the interview myself, but I have a, I have a guess that it was probably a joke because I think if it was true, I think you would have seen the Hollywood Reporter variety and all that kind of stuff. Like Crypto, the Super Dog is going to be in. Um, and also, it could be a possibility that Clark in this movie literally has a pet dog. Yeah. But it's not necessarily Crypto the Super Dog. I, I have a hard time believing that. But again, I, I cannot sit here and defend, definitively say that, that it's not true because I don't know. I'm saying I have a hard time believing it off the top of my head. Also, who would voice it? D. Bradley Baker, because Crypto doesn't talk. No, and, this um, one does. He talks. Unless you're doing League of Superhero Pets. With, you know, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, and all Dwayne Johnson's gonna make yeah. his return. Um, but yeah, D. Bradley Baker is the voice of Eagly on uh Peace Peacemaker. Peacemaker. Oh my god. Um, so Eagly. he's an amazing voice actor who's known for his creature work. So anytime you don't need an animal where you can just use, you know, canned footage or, or audio of an animal barking or something, if you need actual 
emotion in there, D. Bradley Baker is the go-to no, guy. No, I, I think your first thing was right. I think uh, Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson is going to come back yeah. and, and restructure <laughs> the hierarchy of power in the DC universe once again. Boom. That's crypto. All right, what's next? From Brandon, there's a sickening video going around of Star Wars fans surrounding a motorcade Mark Hamill was in and shoving a bunch of crap through his window for him to sign. Even worse is that he had just come from Carrie Fisher's Hollywood star event to eulogize her. Yeah, listen, I I used to have this thought that, hey, there's nothing wrong with fans being there and they just love you and they want to get an autograph and all that kind of stuff. That's what I used to think until I came to Hollywood and when I moved to Hollywood. And I saw things like I, w- I would go to a lot of premieres and stuff like that and be on these carpets. And I'd see the things some people would do to try to get an item with a Sharpie shoved in the face of one of these people. And it didn't matter who they had to push, trample, shove, whatever to get there and be very annoying and demanding. Um, it really kind of changed my thought on that because in Canada when I'd be at events where people are getting autographs it's just probably just like it is wherever your hometown is it was fun friendly whatever but yeah in Hollywood it's a different thing because they can be fucking animal savages well, it's because they times, sell it yeah I was yeah because they, they instantly turn around and sell yeah. it's not there because they're fans and they yeah. love it they want to get it autographed get a picture of them getting it autographed to to give it validity and then you know run to pawn stars and try to sell it I mean that's yeah. it's disgusting totally disgusting it really is. all right what's next from Good American Kid, was so cool being able to hang out with the community yesterday at Movie Club. Oh, awesome. thanks for coming. Awesome to finally put a human behind all these super chats and everything throughout these last two years. John, do you think you would do Movie Club for the Marvels? Um, I mean, right now we're, this is kind of an experiment for us. These events are an experiment for us to see, does the audience like attending them? Uh, do we like doing them? Look, we had a blast doing the Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania one even though we didn't like the movie. Uh, we had more fun doing Guardians of the Galaxy because we actually liked that movie. So that was fun too. And now probably in a week or two, me, Greg and Christian will rehuddle and we'll try to figure out like, do we want to do another one? If we do another one, do we do the flash, which is coming up soon? Do we wait for Marvels? Do we do, uh, I mean, so first we got to decide ever whether we have the time and energy to do another one. And if so, then we got to figure out what the next movie is going to be. Um, so we'll find out. We haven't talked about it yet, but those discussions are upcoming. Thanks for asking though. And thank you so much for coming to the event. We appreciate that a lot, man. All right. What's next from anonymous. You know, what would be a great double feature, Dr. Strangelove and Oppenheimer. (laughs) I, I mean, I haven't seen Oppenheimer, but I already like your double feature. (laughs) I like it a lot. I'd be down for that. I mean, right, that, yeah, that would be the palate cleanser. But if you wanted to go dark on dark, you do Oppenheimer and uh, fail safe. Oh. All right. What's next? <laughs> now I'm sad. <laughs> we'll be staying one of two. As we as we love the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, my wife and I wanted to make watching Volume Three special by going to Odeon Lux UK AMC Prime equivalent. Oh, nice. for date night. Initial cost was about ninety dollars in U.S. money for two tickets and food. What? I'm, that. No, it's wild. I am all for luxury experience, but in the end, value beat out paying three times the price for sitting in nicer seats for two hours. We went to our regular cinema, still had comfy seats, had a sit down meal for roughly the same cost and still a great night. That's very expensive. That I mean, that doesn't sound right. No, like I've never had a night at theater that expensive, but maybe that's just what what is it called? Odeon Lux. Lux? Yeah. What's it called? Odeon Lux. Odeon Lux. Because. 
Maybe that's an Odeon Lux thing. I have, I've, I mean, I've, I go to all the premium theaters here. I've never paid that well, much. Even when we do the whole 40X thing, because Logan likes it, I hate it so much. Um, <laughs> so does Anne and Ray's sister, I Olive. She hates it. I don't want to be thrown around while I'm watching I, a movie. I just don't like it. I just want to sit there. I can't <laughs> eat my food. Does, I can't bro. drink my drink. Um, but even then, because there's an upcharge, even if you have like Regal Unlimited, where you pay an extra 17, <laughs> and then drink. I think his ticket will be like 30? Yeah. That's still, that's so much money. See, this is one of the great things, like as much as AMC often makes me want to pull my hair out, AMC A-list <laughs> is the best movie value for any movie fan. Like I pay 20 something bucks a month. I get up to 12 movies a month and there is no upcharge for watching it in IMAX, watching it in Prime, watching the Dolby Cinema, no upcharges. Uh, it's it's the best value there, there is, is out heartbreak, there. Though. What's that? <laughs> there is the only thing. I There's mean, so much heartbreak. I'm wondering if this is closer to like what he's describing, like an eye pick, because for two people, forty five dollars, if you're getting alcohol and you're getting like gourmet meals or something like that, plus the movie, I could see it running up to ninety. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess I could sense. see that if you're like I pick theater here in the LA or is fantastic. I mean, that's a luxury movie going experience where the, you literally, your chairs are like this love seat sofa bed mm. that you're stretched out on that have lights and pockets and swinging table arms and like gourmet food. They bring you blankets. Yeah. They'll they give you blankets and all like, it is a luxury yeah. premium movie going experience. It's a lot of fun, but it's a little pricey. All right. What's next? From Jai CSC, when I cry at movies, it's because of a heartwarming or happy moment. For sad stuff, I'm usually more stoic. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 had me bawling my eyes out twice. <laughs> yes. Bravo Mr. Gunn on bringing the pathos and gold star Bradley Cooper for his line delivery that hits hard. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I, I'm the same way. I never cry at sad things in movies. It's usually more extreme examples of loyalty and friendship. Like, I, I, like I'll tell everybody, I cried at the end of my best friend's wedding. When, uh, what's, I can't remember the actor's Rupert name. Rupert Everett. Rupert Everett. He's perfect. He flies across the country to be at the wedding where Julia Roberts just had to watch the man she's in love with get married to somebody else. And she calls Rupert Everett on the phone to talk to him. And then she looks up and realizes he, her friend had flown all the way across the country because he knew she would need him. And I'm not going to lie. I cried at that. That to me is beautiful. I don't cry at Cesar, but man, I'm not going to lie. There are some moments in Guardians of the Galaxy 3 where you start to feel a little choked up. That, I mean, it's and there were a lot of tears in my theater, man. A Rupert, lot of tears. Rupert Everett's delivery of that final line in the movie. All right, guys. Maybe there won't be love. Maybe there won't be sex. But by God, they'll be dancing. They have, it's so oh, it's good. such a good line. And then earlier in the movie, you start when he, he gets the song going. Ever and never. It's perfect. Oh my God. Guys, watch my best friend's no, wedding. I made Logan watch it for the first time like two weeks ago. Really? I've never seen it. I Did he like it? He loved it. Oh, good. Yeah. That movie's so good. Oh, anyway. Okay, sorry. What's now next? Now you have to watch Gladiator. I do need to watch you Gladiator. You made him do that. He's going to make you watch Gladiator. I don't think he would actually. Um, dinosaurs and diversity. Attack of the Clones sucks because Jango Fett killed the only dinosaur Jedi. <laughs> I took that personally. I think you should. I think there yeah. should be some protests about this. I think there should be some more dino representation in Star Wars. All right, what's next? From Optimus Prime Rib, all your name is good. Love the show, Very guys. Good. Differences between AMC Prime, AMC Dolby, and AMC Laser. An AMC theater just opened up near me, and I'm curious to know about each option before purchasing tickets. All right, so the AMC Dolby Prime, 
so there's the Prime, Dolby Prime. The AMC Dolby Prime, I, I think that's the top of the ladder. That's the one that has the dual laser projection system that Dolby uses, as well as the Dolby, uh, what's the Dolby sound thing called again? Uh, the Dolby Atmos right. uh, system. It is the deepest blacks, the richest colors, like all, it, that's the Prime thing. A Prime theater, a regular Prime theater, I believe is a regular digital projector, but you get the reclining leather seats, you get all that kind of stuff. That's also in the Dolby theater. The AMC Laser Theater- That's literally just every theater. That's that's all the basic theaters, they just call laser. Okay, because they didn't have that. When we were still at AMC, they didn't have that. Yeah. But yeah, so there's, I mean, so all three of them, sorry, not necessarily AMC Laser, but the AMC Prime and the AMC Prime Dolby will both have the leather recliner seats, but the AMC Prime Dolby is the one that has the dual laser projection system plus the Dolby Atmos surround sound system. I, I believe that's the distinction, but I could be wrong about that. And it sounds pretty good in the, the non-Dolby Prime, but... Oh, yeah, it always sounds good. But the Dolby Cinema is like a step above the Prime, and then Prime is mid-tier, laser is just your standard theater. All right, what's next? Oh, that's all. Oh, that's it? Yeah, that's it. All right, guys. And that'll do it for today's installment of the John Camby Show. Thank you so much for being here, making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in those tip questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the John Camby Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. A little bit of a programming note. We had announced yesterday that we'd be doing a Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 open spoiler discussion today. Had to bump that to tomorrow. So the Guardians of the Galaxy open spoiler discussion will be tomorrow afternoon. So if you guys want to get together and talk about all the open spoiler details about Guardians of the Galaxy 3, we're going to do that tomorrow. So, guys, make sure you come back and join us again for tomorrow's episode of the John Cape Show. We'll look forward to seeing you then. So for everybody in the room, Ray... Jen back there Jonathan of course Chris myself I'm John Campion thanks a lot for being here guys until next time my friends bye bye